Welcome to the Senior Story Hour, where we share poems, stories, observations of life, written by the Franklin Senior Center Writers Group. Thank you all for joining us as we gather today for another Senior Center Writers Group. So we'll record for the Scribblers for airplay and uh, via the podcast in its multiple channels. As we do our rounds, so you can recognize our voices, this is Steve Sherlock. Al Larkin. Bill Wiley. Faith Flaherty. Zenobia Carson. Thank you all. So we're recording, uh, let's see, what day is today? Yeah, okay. It's Wednesday, October 26th, so this will be shared during November. Uh, So we have Thanksgiving themes, and I know Alice has one, so we'll use that here as well. Anyone want to start? I'll start. All right, go for it, Al. I didn't get the memo on Thanksgiving, but uh, we're always uh, concerned about getting together and and sharing uh, things like that this time of the year. It does us all good. And one of the things we we deal with all the time is uh, is our identity, how we look, how we appear to others, uh, and quite often uh, it causes us uh, a lot of vanity and. And we can say it to ourselves, uh, whatever we're doing, this too is vanity. But anyway, uh, I was trying to center on something very simple. And my uh, theme on this one is uh, in a poem form called B, B-E-B. Who am I and does it really matter? I ask myself in the void of chatter, what's my heritage and do I connect? By doing so, does it have an effect? I must have a purpose by way of design. Does my time and place make reason or rhyme? Can I make a difference to those all around? Is caring and kindness in me to be found? It said we should bloom wherever we're planted. To fulfill that takes in me much for granted. Finding the way of my own could make me a fool unless in wisdom make it mine, the golden rule. Should I look around what I see, the family of God, relate to wherever their feet have trod, and to the father of families say, I am of you. The same for the children can only be true. When living in the present creates the ideal, just being me on my part can make it real. Only this day counts to set my life free. To know who I am, I need only be me. How nice. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. God, thank there's you, a, Al. There's a, there's a Neil Diamond song called B, B-E. Yeah. <laughs> Those are nice words. You did uh, a spiritual Thanksgiving theme. That's, that's me. <laughs> Work it <laughs> in, right. Getting together, yeah. Uh, want me to go next? Sure. Okay. I got a poem that I wrote and, and one my girlfriend wrote to me. So kind of a challenge response yeah, almost yeah. or just, just two well, poems? <laughs> just two separate poems, yeah. Mine is called uh, Poem of Love. I feel this love for you, my honey. You make my world bright and sunny. The thought of you brings me joy. I'm like a kid, oh boy, oh boy. This love for you, it feels so bright. You bring the light to the darkest night. The woman I see makes me want to fly. The love we have is worth a try. But I know our love 
will conquer the world if you would only be my girl. Together, we will have fun, and I don't mean maybe. I want you here, please be my lady. You're my inspiration, you are my world. Let's get together, you are a lovely girl. I have fallen for you after so long. It is with you that I belong. These words flow out as they spin in my mind. I want you now and for all time. This love I feel it has to be. If I was blind, you'd make me see. I say so long on this happy day. My poem of love forever will stay. All right. Now, now Excellent. I'm going to read one she wrote to me. Hers doesn't rhyme. <laughs> I called it Poem by My Lovely Lady. You are my heaven, the story of my life. You are as bright as a pearl in my heart forever. You are always treasured in my heart. My love, you are the only one in my life. When I see your face, I know how happy life will be. Every time I see you, my heart jumps like a hummingbird flying. This is a feeling I have never had before, and you inspired it. I feel warm at the thought of your rich conversation with me. Even if we are apart, I couldn't hide my smile. This connection is special and amazing. I dare say fate. Many people ask what made me create this new and better me. I do not hesitate and tell them that it was you. Kind of interesting. Yeah. Very yeah. nice. Good one, yeah. She's learning from a poet. I like, I like it very much. I'm not used to people writing me poems. They come to me either when I'm having the morning coffee or when I'm going to bed. When, when, it's, when, it's, <laughs> yes. when, it's, when it's very quiet. Do you keep a pad yes. of paper uh, next to your Yeah, I always keep a pad next to my bed, yep. Yeah. You want to go, Zenobia, or you want to go, Faith? I'll go. Mine is called The Syrup of Thanksgiving. My brother Raymond was a lover of all things sweet. It's hard to tell where that came from because we only got candy cookies and other corner store treats on the occasion. Christmas and Valentine's Day were exceptions. We could eat as much junk as we wanted because everyone knows that the law of cavities does not form on a holiday. It's against the rules. Our mother was a stickler for toothbrushing, flossing had not been invented, and having a minimum of sweets in one's life, except for those holidays I mentioned. Same thing with sugary drinks. Absolutely no Kool-Aid crossed our threshold. No dark pops like RC, Coca-Cola, or Dr. Pepper were allowed. Because in her estimation, your kidneys would suffer and fall right out as you walk down the street. <laughs> we could, however, have 7-Up or Squirt. The latter tasted to me like sugary grapefruit juice. These were the safe pops because they had little or no coloring. Later, as an adult, I would grudgingly agree with her on that matter. I had grown up without a lot of sugar cravings. But somehow my six years younger brother was born with a sugar monkey on his back that knew no boundaries. He once skimmed all the frosting off mother's freshly baked chocolate cake and put it back under the cake saver. When mother discovered, she asked her son with his chocolate, with chocolate all around his mouth, what happened? And he tried with a straight face to convince her 
that he she had forgotten the frosting in the first place. Needless to say, his behind parts were singing the blues for some time to come. I don't know when our mother began to relax the sugar rules in our house, but I think daddy's low and gentle, now many, let the kids have a little, was what opened the door to Raymond's addiction to Alaga syrup. Once mother bent those rules, Raymond wanted that syrup on everything. Pancakes, waffles, biscuits, regular food. Daddy said, well, syrup and biscuits are buddies. And my brother went hog wild. He insisted that he, it be included for most meals. The only syrup he would eat was Alaga, and he accepted no substitutes. Now, Alaga syrup is a syrup like no other. Forget your thin, more civilized syrups, your maple and others that you pour that pour easily from the bottle. Alaga is a syrup with hair on its chest, and you can turn the bottle upside down and hold it hopefully over your pancakes, flapjacks, or whatever, and you don't even hear a gurgle. Just like that famous ketchup commercial where anticipation of it is making you crazy. So it is with Alaga syrup. This syrup, if it could speak, would sound like, would not sound like Mrs. Butterworth. It would rumble in a deep voice like James Earl Jones. I am your syrup and you must obey. When you pour it on waffles or pancakes or eat it with biscuits, those foods surrender to its authority because it's a near kin to blackstrap molasses and it fastens weaker foods to the plate like a WWF champ and you need special skills to bring it up to your mouth. Yet this was my brother's drug of choice and I have no idea why mother began allowing him to have it with every meal. He would ask for a specific food and start begging for the alaga, so much so that it became a staple at our table for many meals. As happy, it's happy red label depicting two disembodied hands shaking in agreement creeped me out, but I, and I seldom asked for it. So in November of 1957, my parents announced we would not be having Thanksgiving in Illinois. We're going to Cincinnati to have it with one of my mother's aunts that she had barely seen and had not seen her in many years. So mother was very excited. When we pulled out for Ohio, our own dinner was in the deep freezer ready to enjoy when we returned. We packed for about a week, though we were only staying for a day and a night of Thanksgiving. We had to have dressy clothes for the holidays because those were the dates when men and boys wore suits and ties and women were nicely dressed in blouses and skirts to sit at the festive occasions. Between naps, reading, signs along the way and asking a million questions about Aunt Jenny, my parents reminded me to mind my P's and Q's, which simply meant to be on your best behavior. And mostly all parents of that era gave the same warnings. 
Raymond was not issued such a, a warning, though in the years since his fourth birthday, he had mastered a unique method of having tantrums that always ended up where he was hauled out wherever we were by the scruff of his shirt by my mother because daddy did not indulge in that spanking thing. And when she returned him to wherever we were, church pew, movie theater seat, or any place we had to sit for a while, he always returned with that hiccup thing going on and would fall asleep in mother's lap. I used to watch as he cooked it up from somewhere deep inside. He would give a continuous warning whine that started out like a distant fire engine. <laughs> then getting no attention, he would allow his body to slide from his chair and land in a heap at mother's feet. No amount of daddy's whispered, get up boy, or mother pulling him upwards while trying to discreetly threaten him was ineffective. <clears throat> I would glance every now and then, and as his voice rose above a hum, uh, I would see my mother snatch him up, disappear, then return with the sniffling, subdued boy, who, in my opinion, should have remembered that from the last time. We drove to what seemed like forever, and somewhere around dawn of the next day, Daddy woke me to see the new state. He always said, wake up, you'll miss the skyline. He always wanted me to remember skylines of wherever we visited and how lovely they looked when the sky was still salmon pink and everything in the town seemed to be asleep. I don't remember much, but I remember how up and down and hilly it was. And finally, we were at Aunt Jenny's door where people were pouring out by the droves, it seemed. Hugs, tears, and all sorts of emotions were going on. And the house was huge compared to our apartment in Chicago. And I was already impressed. The Thanksgiving smells were on parade and Aunt Jenny gushed about how she had been cooking for days. My mother and I freshened up in another room and when we emerged, mother joined the women and teen girls in the kitchen. Several tables had been pushed together with beautiful coverings, flowers at the center in order to accommodate the family and others which brought us to a count of 15. Chairs, some of them mismated, were placed carefully in front of an already set table. The good dishes had been placed with napkins and polished silverware beside each plate. The men retired to the living room, smoking cigarettes, you could do that in the old days, and talking about cars and jobs and sports. I can't remember if they had a television, but I spied an ancient upright piano and asked if I could play it. I had just begun lessons and could pick up a few tunes. My main repertoire in, <laughs> consisted of Chopsticks and Heart and Soul, which I played over and over. Someone said, listen to that girl play. Go ahead and play, baby. And Raymond climbed up on the piano stool with me as I picked out those tunes time and again. The men kept talking in the dining room 
table began to swell, as well as the sideboard, and it was coming to life. As I remember, there were two hams, a turkey big enough to saddle and ride back to Chicago, fried chicken, cornbread dressing, several vegetables, other side dishes, macaroni and cheese, dinner rolls, and more food than even my down south grandmother managed to produce. The sideboard held the desserts, cakes and pies of every description. And even though a few hours had flown by, everyone was in a good mood and had a good appetite. After washing up, we arrived at the heavily laden table, ready to dig in. Mother and daddy sat away from me with Raymond between them. He was boosted the way we did in the old days sitting on two telephone books so he could see everything. <clears throat> I was sitting with the teen girls feeling all grown up and someone began the prayer to bless the food. I have no idea what made me peek, but I peeked around at Raymond while everyone had bowed heads and folded hands. Raymond's head was not bowed. His eyes were scanning the table. At first I thought he was admiring all the food. Then I thought, uh-oh, he's looking for syrup. <laughs> As the food was passed around, Raymond had a stony look on his face. I know mother and daddy were trying to ignore it by making loud conversation with the other adults, but no, the monster that they'd raised was becoming to life, was coming to life. He kept refusing certain foods offered first by my parents and then by Aunt Jenny, whose face was concerned. Many doesn't the boy want to eat? What's the matter? She asked, assuming the food was at fault. By now, the table laughter and chatter was dying and all eyes were on my brother. My parents sheepishly said, I think he wants syrup. Syrup, the others replied. <laughs> I could hear the fire engine revving up. I wished mother would just spank him in advance and we would not have to deal with this nonsense <laughs> everywhere we went. The teen girls looked at me wondering if I was going to go into a rage about something. After all, I was his big sister. Maybe it was genetic. I kept eating my food. Raymond was now in howling mood, in, in earnest, but rather than allowing Thanksgiving to be ruined, Aunt Jenny ran out to the kitchen to see if she had any syrup. She returned smiling triumphantly, but I knew it was no good. It was not elegant syrup. Raymond stopped crying for a moment, confirmed that it was not and the right syrup and went on crying. The men who had been in the living room, including my daddy, retrieved their suit jackets and vowed to find a store that was open on Thanksgiving and look for Alaga syrup. Dinner was paused for a while. Mother disappeared with Raymond into a faraway room, and I tried to save the day by returning to the piano. Before I could hit one key, one of the teen girls said, oh, no, you don't. I guess they were sick of heart and soul. Finally, the men returned. Dressed up uncles, my own daddy, and husbands of the other women were shaking their heads and clucking their tongues. My brother's behavior, I guess, uh, they were hoping mother was 
giving him what for in a faraway room. <laughs> One of the men, I cannot remember which, held up a brown paper bag in triumph. We got the syrup. A quick look around the table at them new, made them know that Mother and Raymond were missing. When they returned, my brother was hitching and sniffing and hiccuping, no longer a fire engine, but a subdued four-year-old. The syrup was taken from the bag and set ceremoniously right in front of his plate, while Mother studied her plate as she poured a quarter-sized dot in the middle of the food he had reluctantly accepted. The rest of the meal, some parts having to be reheated on the stove, other parts eaten as is, went without interruption. The adults acted as if nothing happened, but the whole Alago syrup thing had changed the mood. And the next morning when we left for Chicago, I could sense that my parents were embarrassed and eager to leave. They kept apologizing and folks kept saying, oh, he's just four years old. And those same people seemed happy to see us leave, however, and uh, more happy than when we arrived. I could never be sure. I was just 10 years old. I don't know when Raymond outgrew tantrums, but I know he did before he went to kindergarten the next year. And I can't remember when he no longer demanded Alaga syrup, but he did. He went on to be a six foot four fine Air Forceman and had no memory of this incident, but I still call it the syrup of Thanksgiving. <laughs> what Very a good. charming story. Yeah. I love the way you describe the images so well and we can see it. Thank we can you. actually be there and see We're what you're talking about. We're around the table. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Thank you for that, Zenobia. Thank you, Zenobia. Yes. You're welcome. Your turn, Faith. Okay. It was one of those beautiful November days where you want to take a deep breath just to breathe in all that crisp, clean smell of air. The temperatures were unseasonably warm. The sun was shining, and people were greeting each other with Happy Thanksgiving. Our food pantry was having a busy day, a constant stream of folks lining up for their Thanksgiving box of food. For many, this was feast that they hoped would stretch for a few days. Their expectations were hopeful, and we at the food pantry prayed to meet each family's needs. That day, more than 100 families had come to the pantry. Volunteers had just distributed the last available box of groceries when a young mother, two preschoolers in tow, appeared needing food. When she was informed that the pantry had just given away the last turkey, tears filled her eyes and spilled down this young mother's face. The despair and fear about disappointing her family was clearly apparent. In an uncommon act of kindness, the young man who had just received the last box of groceries of the day offered the distraught mother his food. When she resisted, he said simply, I can see that you need it more than I do. You can have the turkey too. Your family is young and would appreciate the turkey. Your needs are greater than mine. She protested. He insisted. The last I saw of them, they were walking out together, planning a joint 
Thanksgiving meal. Oh, wonderful. Oh. Nice touch. Nice. <laughs> nice. Very nice. One of the things that's become common, I think more recently, I don't remember it, or now that I think about it more, yeah, certainly even when I was going to high school, when you graduated high school, you would come back and after the Thanksgiving game, there would be some high school reunion or whatever that weekend. So the Thanksgiving theme of looking back, giving thanks, and combined with that high school reunion, which for those, I think I mentioned it earlier, I did have my 50th high school reunion. Yeah, 50. How did that happen? I don't know. (laughs) I know. (laughs) But it did. So this is St. Ray's 50th high school reunion. Time lapse, 50 years and a couple of minutes to answer the question, what does one say to someone they haven't seen in 50 years? (laughs) I'm sorry. And then... People want to know who we are, who we are. So we tell them, so we tell them. We are the saints, the mighty, mighty saints. We weren't always. Folks understood that we aspired to be. And Peter Pan is still my hero. I never wanted to grow up. Yet words like retirement, grandfather, 50th high school reunion are now part of my vocabulary, and it's hard getting used to them. What of the days at McCoy playing pickup baseball or Novelty Park basketball or delivering the Pawtucket Times, making some money to pay for school, books, and the occasional ring-ding in Yahoo at Mike's Corner Market? High school commencement was the end of one path. Other paths opened with college and beyond the world of work, family, moving about the country before coming home. What is home? Pawtucket is where my story started. St. Joe's and St. Ray's were key parts of it, even returning for a spell as an assistant coach for track and cross country at Saints before the corporate moves took over. Now, up the road a piece, Franklin is my home from which I also found that the railroad lines used to come down to Valley Falls and into Pawtucket back in the day when the trains were king. Can you go home again? An age-old question. But yes, if you want, aside from visiting the cemetery and walking among the neighborhood streets, you can't ever get fully away. The ties are binding. So I'll quote Rumi, out beyond wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. Mm. Nice. I did meet some folks that I hadn't met in 50 years. (laughs) And they changed a little bit. And the first thing you say or think is, who are you? (laughs) Where did I know you from? Some you could tell the face or whatever was like they had never left. Um, but one friend of mine who was, we were almost inseparable to the extent that the group had names for us, nicknames. He was Bones. I was Skin. So we were Skin and, he- skin and Bones. <laughs> <laughs> I had a crew cut, yeah. as oh. was common in the day. And he was <laughs> literally so thin, if you turned sideways and stuck out his tongue, you could probably see him. <laughs> this is um, 
What did I phrase? I didn't put it here. It's untitled. So you tell me the title for it. I've been told only God can make a tree. Well, he sure gives us a beautiful palette of color that we call autumn. Nature is pretty great if you think about it. Take, for instance, when the days get shorter and cooler, the trees we take for granted that are all around us suddenly become bright with color, and who determines the color the trees will be? I suppose my authority on any subject, Google, knows the answer, but I won't delve into that one now. Every morning I take my coffee, sit in a comfortable chair by the window of my apartment, and I look at the colors of the trees and back. My intention is to meditate about the day ahead of me, which I do, and the magnificent glory of a green pine turning completely red, then yellow, adds to the spiritual nature of my day. But look fast, because I've found the colors change quickly. Monday, the group of trees in front of me were bordered by orange leaves. Green was holding its own in the interior, and to the left was bright orange interspersed with yellow. Green had succumbed to red. This morning, I looked, and the red leaves had turned to a completely yellow tree. The orange on the tree to the left had turned copper or slightly brown, and red stubbornly stayed at the top. It's a wonderful time of year. We've picked crisp apples at a farm. We've put faces on our pumpkins and put them on our doorstep. We've got a good supply of candy in for Halloween. And we're changing our clothes from summer to winter. Nights are cozy, and we plan ahead to that big meal at Thanksgiving. For the first time in two years, we won't wear masks, and we'll see family and friends without fear. Most of us have had two vaccines and now two boosters, so we feel confident in accepting invitations with family and friends. We are more than willing this year to laugh and catch the joy of the season. As a kid through the years, we have all heard the story of the first Thanksgiving, the colonists sharing a meal with the Indians of the region. But after that, it wasn't easy to make Thanksgiving a holiday. In 1846, Sarah Josiah Hale, author of Mary Had a Little Lamb, petitioned Congress to create a national holiday of Thanksgiving to ease the tensions between the North and the South. In 1863, President Abraham Lincoln declared Thanksgiving a national holiday. Through the years, the holiday was always on a Thursday in November, but the weeks of the month were always left at the discretion of the president in office at the time. But enough of a history lesson here. Let's think of what's always at the Thanksgiving table, rich in colors as the trees in autumn. I can see the Thanksgiving table now. Turkey or ham, scalloped potatoes are mashed. Turkey stuffing, winter squash or turnip, cranberry sauce rolls, and oh yes, the green bean casserole. Can you think of any food we've missed? Everyone fills their plates. Everyone eats too much. And we can't forget the pies. Pumpkin, blueberry, apple, pecan, mince, or maybe apple crisp, 
all with a little dollop of whipped cream. Maybe someone has brought a fruitcake loaded with nuts, raisins, maraschino cherries, and the smell of brandy beckons us to try a piece or two. But listen, Thanksgiving is more than food or the local high school football team. This year, it's being grateful we survived or made it through COVID. Be sure to thank your family and friends for their devotion and efforts to keep you safe. And I'm reminded of a classic Thanksgiving melody you may have heard before. It goes like this. We gather together to ask the Lord's blessing. He chastens and hastens his will to make known. The wicked oppressing, now ceasing from depression, sing praises to his name. He forgets not his own. That's an old hymn that you may all remember. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving, everyone, and may God bless us all. Amen. Well done. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. I think that was a, a very appropriate closing piece. Yeah. <laughs> it, it kind of summarized all of what we've covered. And yeah. A, in one and a title might be Reason for Joy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was our session this time around. So we hope we've brought you some joy, cause for giving thanks, or an opportunity to give thanks as you go through the November month and the Thanksgiving holidays and celebrate as you will. And till next time, here at the Senior Center Writers Group, we thank you for joining us. If you do want to join us in person at the Franklin Senior Center or virtually, yes, we do a Zoom session each week Wednesdays at 1 o'clock. Send an email to the Senior Center or info at WFPR-FM, and we'll put you on the mailing list. So for all the writers, on behalf of the writers, and thanks to Keith, our uh, recording master today. Until next time. Thanks for being with us here on Senior Story Hour. Until the next time. I'm Peter Jay. Remember, be they laced with gravity, levity, wisdom, or whimsy, the meaning, experiences of life become a little larger when you share them, when you take a moment to commit pen to paper and just write. This is FPR, Franklin Public Radio.